Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. There's something very special about singing a song like that goes like this. <laughs> Isn't there? I mean, you start up so high and then you like just go down kind of like, it's like you have to take a deep breath before you ever, ever start out, right? So before we end today, we're going to sing it one more time, at least that uh, chorus part. And, and, uh, but, you know, there's a beautiful thing about that song is that song, it's up here and it comes down, if you noticed. Glory. And if you just think for a minute about what we're talking about, that heaven has come to earth, that Jesus has come to earth, the excellent one has come to earth. And when you sing glory, you know, we think of glory going up as we give God glory, but in Christ, the glory has come down. So when you sing glory, just think, Christ, God has come uh, from heaven to us. And so when you sing that, you can sing it with some gusto and put it in there, you know, go for it. Uh, this song really started, it's, it's kind of, it's morphed and it's kind of evolved through all the centuries. It actually started back in the 1700s as a French poem. And uh, it was battered around a few times and, and finally uh, Bishop Chadwick got it and he turned it into the song in the 1800s that we know today and sing. But it was battered around for a number of years and you know carols, carols were not always Christmas carols. Who was carol anyway? But you know who, they, were, they weren't just always Christmas songs. They were songs that were sang by roving groups of musicians and singers who would go from town to town at various times had... They, they honestly were not what you would call religious songs. Uh, they would show up at a pub all of a sudden, these group of singers, and just start singing. And, of course, the people in the pub would come out and, you know, they were feeling pretty good in the spirit. And, uh, you know, they would, they would start singing right along with them as well. These carolers also would move through the town, stop at homes. And it was just a, it's kind of a rowdy group, but it was, it was a fun group and a of course, uh, then some of, the, some of the Christians started singing some of these songs, and the Puritans and, uh, and some other groups uh, didn't take kindly to the fact that some of these songs were, were kind of taken from this pub caroling atmosphere and used to celebrate God with, and so they tried to shut it down. Any of you ever heard of the, the term worship wars before? Worship wars uh, it's wonderfully refreshing to know you've never heard of that because having been in the church for quite some time and a musician, worship leader for many, many years back, that uh, the wars of worship were very pronounced. And I thought they only started in the 60s with the rock and roll generation, you know, but no, they've been around for a long time, all the way back to the 1600s, 1700s, when uh, some of the bar songs were a lot more exciting than the church songs. Some of you believe that now. You're like, I don't know why I can sing along in my radio, but it's hard for me to sing in church. Well, it's the tunes, you know, it's the anticipation and the excitement of the, of the songs. But though a couple of groups tried to squelch this back in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s, the Reformers, Luther, Calvin, some of the others came along. And, and I love one of their quotes. They said, uh, no, you know, we want the church singing like the people do from their balconies. When the carolers come around, we want the church to do that. And so John Calvin and Martin Luther and some of them said this, Sing all, 
sing lustily, sing in time, white people, and above all, (laughs) sing spiritually. I like that, right? Sing with excitement. And, you know, we can get that beat, I promise. You know, we can do it. Sing all, sing lustily, sing in time, and above all, sing spiritually. And so the Reformers would take these songs and they would repackage them. And really a lot of the songs, that the hymns that we sing, and especially maybe at Christmas time, the tunes that uh, the beautiful words are, are, are woven into are songs that came out of those roving carolers moving from pub to pub or house to house, and they liked the tune, so they hijacked it for God, you know, and, and took it and turned it into something that people enjoyed singing. And, uh, and so, you know, if you don't like uh, Christian songs sung to certain beats or styles of music, then you can go all the way back to the 1700s and argue with some of these, these folks, you know. And this song, uh, as I said, the poetry started way back in the 1700s with the French. It moved right on up to Bishop Chadwick where he took it and turned it into the wonderful song that we have today. You have a fill-in on the back part of your handout this morning if you want to follow along with me. Uh, this is, uh, I think... a fantastic song. I got to pick these songs. And so because of their theological depth a lot of times, because they say so much and there is, there is a profound amount of scripture to support what we're singing. So we're going to be over in Luke, the second chapter at the eighth verse. And I want to read this story. I can't hardly read this story without stopping to make some comment uh, along the way. So uh, bear with me. It'll be up on the screens as it is. And I'll pray after this and we'll jump into these three fill-ins. Luke 2, verse 8, and we'll read down a ways. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father, we pray for your blessings upon your word this morning. Be with us today and uh, breathe life on it. Help me, Lord, in my weakness and uh, give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes. Help me, Lord. Um, Jesus, we welcome you here. We welcome you here every Sunday, but at this time of the year when we remember you coming to earth, we really want to say we're so glad you came and we welcome you here in this room now through the holy spirit to come and move and do your good work in us in jesus name amen well 
Your first feeling is simply this. I'm a pretty simple guy, so my feelings are simple. The first one is this. Angels show up when something big is going on. Angels show up. If you read your Bibles and you read through even Old Testament to the New Testament, you see that the angels, they are, they're there at the biggest points of history and all. Uh, I think 175 times in the New Testament they show up. That's a relatively lot for such a small amount of the Scripture, isn't it? Uh, here's something that you probably, most of you probably don't know. By the way, angel means messenger. Sometimes it's used for a human. It can be used like an angel came to me. Have you ever said that? Like this angel showed up and, and was there for me and, and maybe gave me an encouraging word. And that, that's true. But in this context of what we're talking about, it's not the messenger of our fellow uh, humans. It's, it's the messenger from the very presence of God that comes. And uh, one of the things that's so profound about this moment is that God, at least we have no record of it, God has not spoken for 400 years. For 400 years, there has been silence. No prophecies, no word from God, no history of God saying anything to the earth. And then all of a sudden, one of his emissaries who serves right in the very presence, Gabriel, no doubt, shows up and has these words to say. Did you notice the first words? What were his first words? Do not be afraid. How would you not like... I mean, you haven't heard from God for centuries. And the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That is a major theme of Christmas, is that there... You don't need to be afraid anymore because I've come to earth. I've come to redeem, to buy back, to get back what was lost, back to myself. I'm here now. Don't be afraid. So think about that. You haven't heard from someone for a very long time, much less the creator of all the universe, silent. Is he mad? Has he gone? Is he dead? Where is he? What's going on? And then he shows up in a monumental way. And the first words through his emissaries are, don't be afraid. I mean, that's pretty profound. That hits all of us in so many places where the fear of death, fear of loss, fear of pain, the fear of purpose, that we don't have it. It can hit us in so many ways, this phobia. Matter of fact, the... The shepherds, when we read the story and it says they were terrified, the, the word is phobiomai, and then there's the word magus attached to it. Do you get this? Will we get the word phobia? Phobiomai magus, like the mag, huge fear is what they felt. They were terrified. But yet the angel says, it's okay. Don't be afraid. It's all right. That's the first word of Christmas is do not be afraid. Angels show up at John the Baptist, right? I mean, he, he shows up and he tells Zechariah, he says, you know, you, you, know, you, got, you guys, you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And, and Zechariah goes, wait a minute, we're too old. You've heard this story in the Old Testament, right, before. And, uh, and he says, we're too old. This can't possibly happen. And what does the angel do? He says, I'll tell you what, you're not going to say another word until you realize this, all right? And so Zechariah is the priest. He's operating in the temple. He goes in, and, and then when the baby's born and they get ready to, to, uh, to name him, 
And Elizabeth goes, John. And the rest of the people look around and goes, there's nobody in your family named John. Why would you name him John? Because that's what, you know, the angel said to do, right? And then Zechariah is writing on a tablet because he can't talk because... He questioned the angel, and he goes, his name's going to be John. And the minute he does that, his mouth opens. And what happens? first thing out of his mouth is worship and praise. The first thing that happens. Not fear. It was a, just a lifting up to God. So the angels show up in some pretty huge moments. I mean, I'm not even going to mention the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, this a magnificent moment when God comes to earth in human form. The angels are right there. And, and I couldn't help but think about the angels having been with God and watching all of history for so long. What did they think about God himself in a tiny human being? Can you imagine them looking on at the manger and scratching their heads like, you know, how, how could this be? How can the creator suddenly be such a small creature? How could that ever happen? The humbling, the humility of God in order to reach us is just, uh, it, it boggles the mind. It's things that we should think about through the Christmas season of, of God, how much he loves and cares for us that he would contain himself in such a fragile and small package in the creation itself. And the angels, it'll be interesting in the kingdom to come to be able to ask some questions. What do you think, Gabriel? When that was going on, uh, you know, what happened? What what were you? I was like, man, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's crazy, but you're here. You wouldn't be here without that, right? I'm here, right? (laughs) I wouldn't be here without that. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we read these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, what Paul's talking about here is the the poor, the poverty part is that he came down to our fragile level. You get this? He was rich and fame. He was God Almighty, but yet he lowered himself. He humbled himself. He came to earth as a human being. That is when he emptied himself. And that the poverty, that poverty of being human in that moment and that weakness, that's what he did. And, and so angels are, I just can't even imagine what they're thinking. Watching all of this, after seeing the, how awesome and glorious God is and, and all that he is, and then watching God do this is uh, just amazing. Angels are there with Daniel, and Daniel's been fasting for three weeks, if you've read that wonderful book, and... And Daniel is not sure what's going on. He wants to understand God. And Gabriel shows up and he talks to him about the battle that's going on in the heavens. And uh, Jesus, you know, through his temptation, after he was tempted and tried by the devil in the desert, it says the angels came and tended to him. I found it really interesting that it didn't mention the angels through the temptation, that Jesus walked through that on his own as a human being, withstanding that and and, and handling the temptation so that we know that we can do the same with his help. And then the angels come as messengers, as helpers to, to, to comfort him, to be there with him at the end of his temptation. And some of us know that we wouldn't go back through some of our trying times. It would be some of the things we've been through. But if you walk through them with grace and you hang on to God, you know that at the end of those journeys many times there is such a sense of God's help in it, isn't there? 
I mean, you experience God's love and comfort in those times in ways that you don't almost every day. And I think that's, you know, the comfort of, of the angels that Jesus sensed at that time after his temptation. The resurrection, of course, the angels are there. Uh, the ascension when, uh, when he goes to the kingdom back. And then, then when he returns to this earth to set up his kingdom, the angels are there. So they're along all in every important point in our journey and then the journey of the church and of this world. In Luke fifteen ten, we read uh, these words. In the same way, I'll tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see what angels do? This morning, if one of you, just one of you, goes, gosh, God, I am so sorry. I have missed the target of what you have for me in my life. I've missed it, and I'm turning from going this way, and I'm going to go that way. If you repent this morning, if just one of us does that, one of us says, Sorry, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going this direction. Heavens, you're up. <laughs> the angels start rejoicing. They start celebrating. Think about that for a minute. I mean, we can't see it now, but just the thoughts that the angels have a view into our lives and our hunger, and then when we respond to God's, you know, like that, that they rejoice with us. Angels are a part, it seems like, of every important part of earth's Life and history as we move on with what God is uh, doing. The shepherds were terrified and, as I said, you know, getting free. I wrote this down. I wrote, our fears are confronted and comforted by the coming of Christ. Our fears are confronted and comforted by the coming of Christ. So angels show up when something big's going on. And your second one is this. Uh, what is up has come down. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest, right? What is up has come down. Glory to God in the highest, gloria in excelsis Deo, and what? On earth. Glory to God in the highest, and glory earth. Gloria in excelsis Deo, on earth. It has come. Heaven has come to earth. And let, let me say this too. Um, when we speak of heaven and the Bible speaks of, of heavens, we think of clouds and blue sky and all. And really, it's, it was the ancients' way of describing that other realm where God exists and where we rarely get, a, get an opportunity to see. It's that place where God's kingdom is full, where he gets his way. And, and that's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Because that's where he gets... Everything he wants. And so we're to pray. But it's more like a piercing of this veil of another reality. You know, the reality of, of the presence of God suddenly pierces earth's reality and we get to see it. Now, one day they're going to come together in fullness. And that veil that hides us from it is going to be pierced and taken away. And all of God's presence and kingdom will blend with this and we will see him in his fullness and God will get his way 100% right here and it'll be a renewed place. Yes, yes. And so when we say that and we see this coming down, it's more like a breaking through, but it's their way of saying that heaven has come to earth in Christ. And, uh, and so what is up has come down and broken in to this space, into this place, and the angels are part of that reality, that other reality 
And what makes it so glorious is that these angels come straight out of the very presence of God, who is the glory, right? And so when they break into this reality, our reality, it's shocking because we're seeing something that we don't get to see very often. And we read about it in Revelation, and we read about it even now in the birth of Christ. And so, of course, it's, it's kind of terrifying. But yet, what do they say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because it's the reality of God breaking into this earth right now. Don't be afraid. And uh, it's very co- common for the angels, but not for us to see. But in Jesus, the heavens have broken into the earth. Uh, Read, let's see, let's go down to, let's go back to Luke 1, 19. And let's just read a little bit here. You know, things, we were singing a while ago. Have you ever felt like, I just don't have enough substance to express what I really, what is really in my heart right now? When you're worshiping and you're praising and you're, you're trying to, anybody ever seen The Jerk? You ever seen that movie, you know? <laughs> You know, Steve Martin, you know, he tries to dance, you know, you know, and that's the way I feel in worship sometimes. I feel like, you know, I just can't get, <laughs> I will, you, know, well, you want to be an instrument. You want to be like, how can I ever express what I'm sensing right now? This glorious presence of God. We're singing about this reality of God, the creator coming to earth and making himself known, you know, and it's like, I wish I had the substance to express to God how, how appreciative I am and and how, how much I love your presence, God. And how I want to see more of it and the reality of it breaking in to my life. But look, watch, uh, watch here Zechariah in Luke 1, 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. That's a major... Gabriel shows up as a big deal, right? Uh, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Whoa. And I have been sent to speak to you. To tell you this, good news. Good news. And now, now he said good news, but listen to this. Now you will be silent. (laughs) And not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. Remember that word, signs. Signs to them, but remained unable to speak. (laughs) When his time of service was completed, as he served in the temple, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, I don't know if she meant kept her husband from talking or the baby being born. <laughs> oh, I just noticed that. I might write a note in my margin here. There's <laughs> my wife in here. I hope she didn't hear that. Uh, and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And here we have the, the, the story of Mary. Uh, we jump down to uh, the 39th verse. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town. And we, we read all about, you know, Elizabeth being pregnant, Mary being pregnant. And they are celebrating. And then we get over to, uh, let's jump to when it was time, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. Um, he skipped down a bit. 
And she said, name him John. And uh, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, wrote his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to what? Speak praising God. First thing after out of his mouth, five months, you haven't been able to talk. The first thing that comes out of your mouth when you can't is worship and praise. You, do you understand that when we worship and praise, we get to join this all over again? It's almost like the Lord says, this is such good news, Zechariah, that you should be worshiping right now. You should be praising. I'll tell you what, you're going to value this so much. I'm just going to let you hold all those words for the next five months. And the next time you open your mouth, boy, you're going to have plenty to worship God with because you've got all those words stored up. And so when his mouth was released, out they flowed. And we read the song of Zechariah. If you read in your Bible, there's this beautiful poem and song where he just lets it come because it's all been building up there. He's all wanted, he's wanted to let it go for all of this time. And now he realizes what a special time and event in history this is. Man, this is, this is some really good stuff going on here. And, um, you know, the shepherds, of course, this story that we're in this morning has the shepherds who are the common blue-collar workers working in the field, and, and they, they are shocked, and uh, they say this. They get down to uh, when the angels, let me jump, suddenly a great, uh, let me back up here. Uh, verse 11, and today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a what? sign to you. Did we just read that, right? It was Zechariah. Here's a sign to you. You're going to be quiet, (laughs) right? Well, here's another sign. You see, signs aren't the point, right? They point to the point. You get this? Signs are not the point. They point to the main thing. Now, in our culture, we make the manger a lot of times the point. You know, we sell things through the picture of the manger. We do all kind of things, but And we like the manger, the feeding trough, because it looks so quaint and it's so nice. But we are not to stop at the feeding trough. The trough was the sign to the Messiah. That Gabriel told the shepherds, here's the sign. Here's your sign. You will find the Messiah, the Savior, in a trough, which was unusual. So they didn't stop with the trough. And let us not stop with the trough. Let's just don't take in the holiday season and look at, you know, I've got a, a set, you know, when, when I was in Puerto Rico decades ago, it was at Christmas time, and I bought these clay figures, uh, you know, this beautiful scene, and, and there's, a, there's a, a, the manger and, and all of this. But let's don't stop with that. Let's look at the trough. Let's look at the manger and see where it's pointing because it is a sign just like Zechariah's silence was a sign pointing to something much greater. The reason for all of this, which was Christ. Gosh, I just want to go worship right now. I feel like I'm so excited with this. Your third feeling is this, and that is heaven meets and greets the average person. Heaven meets and greets the average persons. Person, persons, people, that would be people, right? Uh, <laughs> The shepherds couldn't keep quiet about it. Uh, They went to find out. They looked for the sign, which was 
the manger that pointed to Christ. They looked into the manger to see the baby and realized something amazing was happening. Uh, Historically, here is just crazy. Man, Caesar Augustus, which if you go back to the first part of the second chapter, you'll read about the census and the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. If you remember your history, Caesar Augustus, it was the first emperor. It was uh, the Roman Republic before Julius Caesar adopted Caesar Augustus way back. There's all this intrigue and murder and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and so Caesar Augustus becomes the emperor, right? Well, Caesar Augustus is a long way from where Jesus is. Caesar Augustus, well, he has never heard of Jesus Christ. He never heard of him in his whole life. Yet, within just... Less than a hundred years, the Roman Empire would have heard about this baby. The Roman Empire would be out and the Roman emperors would be out to kill everyone that followed this baby. That came to know him as Lord and Savior. Within two to three hundred years, it would look like those who followed Christ would never grow past a certain stage of a few people because the emperors... We're trying to crush this small group of faith. But within 400 years, the emperor himself would be a Christian. I mean, this transcends the power of Christ to change lives, transcends your place in life. Do you understand that? From the shepherd to the Roman emperor, the power of God has come to earth. And there is good news in it. Fear not. Fear not, for I am here. Uh, Caesar Augustus was also, because he admired his father or his, his uh, stepdad so much, he decided he would make Caesar, Julius Caesar divine. He said he's a god. Wouldn't that be nice? Somebody wants to make you a god, suddenly you are. And so uh, Augustus goes, my father, though he's dead now, he is a god, which makes me what? If Augustus is his son, he is the what? The son of God. And that's exactly what he called himself, the son of God. And then he said he was the savior of the world because there was this thing called the Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome, which Augustus started. So he brought his own iron-fisted peace To this realm, I'm telling you, nobody can make this stuff up, man. You've got to listen to this. You have got to at least consider that Christ is who he said he is. Because you have this parallel of Caesar Augustus saying, I am the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I brought my peace when there's a baby being born and the angels are singing that peace has come to the earth. Glory. And then the earth is being told to Caesar Augustus, no, worship me. I'm high and lifted up. I'm the Son of God. You get this? I mean, it's the megaphone of heaven to earth. Like, pay attention. There is something wonderful going on. You can't let this pass. And it comes to everyone, not just those in the Roman Empire who have the wreaths on their heads and who live in their domus of amazing buildings and all, but it comes to the shepherds in the fields who work so hard. It comes to all. That is the difference in man-made gods and the God of the universe who comes to reconcile everyone to himself. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those 
on whom his favor rests. Whom? Who's his favor resting on? Who? 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 Now make it a little more personal. Who? All right, that's what I want to hear because that changes everything, right? It is us, but in our worship and in our lives and the way that we live, that changes everything. Let's say it together. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on the earth to those on whom his favor rests. Amen. When they had seen him, they spread the word. This is the shepherds concerning what had been told them about the child, that the Messiah had arrived. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What have you heard this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you came to earth as a child. Thank you that you have given us so much help and leading us along to the place to where we can consider the truth of this amazing moment in history when you came. And I pray this morning for anyone in here, any of us who would look at this this morning and go, I am going to leave this life of going this direction. I am going to turn toward, I see the sign, and I'm going to move toward God this morning. Jesus Christ, who has come to earth to save my soul, to reconcile me with my creator. Lord, would you come in those hearts right now and move? Because your angels, I believe, are sitting, if they sit, on the edge of their chairs, waiting on one person to turn toward God. So would you give the angels a chance this morning? Give them a chance to rejoice. Give them opportunity to rejoice and respond to the call of Christ on your life. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.